You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Monday, December 12th, 2022. Coming up this hour. A huge week for central banks with the Fed, ECB, and Bank of England all making policy decisions. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says inflation will be much lower by the end of next year. Amgen makes its biggest acquisition ever. And the January 6th committee gets a step closer to its final report. I'm Amy Morris. New York subway officials are looking at hiking fares, and the area is bracing for its first major snow event this season. I'm John Stashauer and Sports. The Giants got blown out by Philadelphia. The Jets lost in Buffalo. The Knicks beat Sacramento. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York, Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 1061 Boston, Bloomberg 960 San Francisco, Sirius XM 119, and around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow, and U.S. stock index futures are on the rise this morning. It is 5.01 on Wall Street, and we check the markets all day long here at Bloomberg. S&P futures up seven points, or two-tenths of a percent. Dow futures up 41 points, or a tenth of a percent. And NASDAQ futures are up 28 points, or a quarter percent. The DAX in Germany is down a tenth of a percent. And the 10-year Treasury is up 10.30 seconds, yield 3.54 percent. Yield on the two-year, 4.32 percent. Nathan. Karen, we begin this morning with a big week for central bank decisions both here and abroad. Let's get a preview from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Are you ready for risk? We have a host of major market moving events this week. Tuesday, U.S. CPI will weigh on investors' views of what the Fed will and has to do. Wednesday, the Fed will tell us not just a rate move, but new economic forecasts and a new dot plot. How high do they think U.S. interest rates have to go? How high will they have to go in Europe? Well, Thursday, all eyes turn to the ECB, which will also be moving rates up and offering new forecasts. What kind of recession will they see? The Bank of England has already forecast contraction, but with inflation high, they are expected to raise rates again on Thursday. The question on Threadneedle Street, when do they stop? Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Michael, thank you. Well, so far the jury's out on whether central banks are winning the war on inflation, but Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is optimistic. She says prices should be much lower by the end of next year, as long as there aren't any unexpected shocks to the economy. I believe inflation will be lower. Um, I am very hopeful that the labor market will uh, remain quite healthy. Uh, so that people can feel good about their finances. In an interview with CBS's 60 Minutes, Secretary Yellen said ending Russia's war in Ukraine would be the single best thing for the global economy. She says U.S. support for Ukraine will continue, quote, as long as it takes. We're doing everything we can to bring this war to a conclusion. Of course, we're providing considerable help Um, to Ukraine, both military and economic. 
And listeners in Washington can hear 60 Minutes from CBS Sunday nights at 10 on Bloomberg 99.1. Well, support for Ukraine will be high on the agenda, Karen, when group of seven leaders meet virtually today. The White House says President Biden spoke with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky last night to underscore his support. The U.S. has promised $38 billion in military aid and delivered $13 billion in direct aid to Ukraine so far. Meantime, Nathan, the U.S. will send a delegation to China in the coming days. The move follows up on President Biden's meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping last month at the G20. The two countries have plenty of disagreements, including over Taiwan and U.S. moves to limit China's economic and technological influence. We have moves on Capitol Hill's response to last year's insurrection. Karen, the January 6th committee has taken another step on its way to producing its final report with a new subcommittee meeting. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports. The stated purpose of the meeting, possible prosecution on criminal charges coming out of the insurrection. Congressman Adam Schiff on CBS is heard here on Bloomberg. I think we're all certainly in agreement that there is evidence of criminality uh, here. Schiff says the committee's been able to provide very important information to the DOJ, but just as important. I think it makes an important statement, uh, not a political one, but a, a mm-hmm. statement about the evidence of an attack on the institutions of our democracy and the peaceful transfer of power. Less than two weeks until the curtain comes down. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ed, thank you. I'll turn to the markets now. We have a couple of deals to kick off the week, including one in the biotech industry. And we get the latest live with Bloomberg Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Karen and Nathan. Amgen plans to buy Horizon Therapeutics at a valuation of $26 billion in what would be its largest acquisition to date. Sources telling Bloomberg News the biotech giant offered about $116 for each Horizon share. Horizon stock closing Friday at $97.27. Shares jumping more than 11 percent this morning in pre-market trading. It's not a done deal yet, though. People familiar with the matter say negotiations could still fall apart. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Steve, thank you. And we also have an acquisition involving Microsoft. The company has agreed to buy a stake in the London Stock Exchange Group. The deal gives Microsoft a 4% equity holding as part of a new long-term strategic partnership. The stake's part of a broader 10-year agreement to help the London Stock Exchange owner develop data analytics and cloud infrastructure using Microsoft's products. Well, staying in London now, Nathan, we have a couple of major stories this morning centered on the U.K. economy. There's fresh growth data from the U.K. as the country grapples with widespread strikes. Let's go to London and get the latest live with Bloomberg's James Wilcock. Good morning, James. Good morning from a frosty U.K., Karen. The economy here expanded 0.5% in October as businesses recovered output lost in public holidays after the death of the Queen. But with strikes across the country affecting health, transport and education, the outlook is much grimmer. You can already see that in hospitality, with pubs and restaurants saying Christmas party bookings are as bad as they were during COVID as people cancelled due to rail strikes. The UK government is meeting this morning to discuss sending in the army to fill in for workers walking out. In London, James Walcock, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, James, thank you. And in banking news this morning, Reuters is reporting that Morgan Stanley plans to cut investment bankers' annual bonuses in Asia by as much as 50% this year. The scale of the cuts in its Asia business could possibly be replicated in the US and Europe, according to this report. Local headlines and a check of sports next. This is Bloomberg. It's now 5.07 on Wall Street. We are at 32 degrees in Central Park. It's going to stay chilly today in the sunshine. Highs only near 40 degrees. And we're going to get down to the upper 20s tonight. Welcome to winter. Let's bring in Amy Morris for a look at what else is going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Amy. Uh, good morning, Nathan. More than 30 years after the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland, that killed 270 people, including 38 New Jersey residents, a suspect is in U.S. custody. Bert Ammerman's brother, Tom, from New Jersey, says there's just no closure. The two daughters at the time, six and four, a wife. He was 36, young. He didn't get to live his life. The suspect is expected to make a court appearance in Washington, D.C. on criminal federal charges. New York subway officials are looking to avoid a budget disaster. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority says it could face a budget gap of nearly $3 billion by 2025. The New York Times reports they are considering raising the transit system's base fare a couple of times by 2025, just to over $3. It would be the first time they've talked about raising fares since the pandemic began. Forecasters say up to five inches of snow could fall on parts of northwestern New Jersey today. It is the first major snow event of the season. Governor Phil Murphy cautioned motorists to be careful when driving north of I-78. 
It's where a wintry mix of snow and ice is expected. It is the largest oil spill in Keystone Pipeline history. More than 588,000 gallons of crude. Officials say they've got the spill contained for now. Warren Martin is the executive director of Kansas Strong, a nonprofit organization that educates people about the oil and gas industry. This oil spill is a little bit different than some of the past pipeline spills because it involves a body of water. And so it's not real certain how the EPA is going to respond to that. They have to approve starting back up the pipeline. And so there's a remediation process that takes place to clean up all the oil, to analyze the pipeline. Industry insiders believe the pipe will be up and running around December 20th. NASA's Orion spacecraft splashed down in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Mexico yesterday, bringing a successful end to a 25-day test flight that sent the uncrewed vehicle around the moon and back to Earth. Artemis 1 helps pave the way for NASA's program to return humans to the surface of the moon. Global news, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Amy. Thank you. Going up to 510 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stashauer. Good morning, Nathan. Everyone knew it was going to be a tough Sunday for the Jets and Giants, and sure enough, both teams lost. Jets were in it in Buffalo. Defense again played well, but for the second straight week, the offense produced only one touchdown. The Bills won 20 to 12. Mike White in defeat, 27 of 44. He took a beating. Twice had to leave. After the game, White went to the hospital for precautionary measures with injured ribs. Jet bright spot was rookie running back Zonovan Knight. He gained 71 yards, scored the Jets' only touchdown. As for the Giants, never ended at MetLife. Philadelphia with touchdowns on the first three possessions. And a Giants illegal punt didn't help things. Final was 48-22. to Most points the Eagles have scored in a road game against the Giants since 1971. Philly now an NFL best, 12-1, 6-0 on the road, while Brian Dayball's Giants winless in their last four games. When you're winning, it's five. When you're losing, it's humbling. Um, you lose like this, you own it. You don't make any excuses. They played well. Um, and we get to, you know, have an opportunity to get ready and, and play a big game on, on Sunday night. Yeah, that's a game in Washington. Those two teams are tied, vying with Seattle for two wild card spots, getting some help yesterday when Seattle lost at home to Carolina. Knicks stay hot, their fourth win in a row. They've played great defense in all four at the Garden. They beat Sacramento. It's a good team this year. 112-99, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, both with 27 points. All of those for Randall coming in the first half. He got ejected in the second half, picking up a couple of technicals. Low-scoring battle of New Jersey. Seton Hall 45, Rutgers 43. No one on either team scored more than 10 points. Both teams are 6-4. and four. Paul Silas has passed away at the age of 79, played 16 NBA seasons, won two championships in Boston, was later a longtime NBA coach. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, John, thank you. And Bloomberg Sports is brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local tri-state Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. S&P futures right now up 7 points. Dow futures up 48. And NASDAQ futures are higher by 26 points. The 10-year Treasury up 11.30 seconds, yield 3.53%. It's 5:12 on Wall Street. This is Bloomberg Daybreak at the start of a very busy week for investors and for central banks. We are joined live this morning by Lori Calvacina, the head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, it's great to speak with you this morning uh, ahead of a very busy week for central banks. We got the Fed on Wednesday and then a bunch of other decisions on Thursday. What kind of market reaction are you expecting from uh, what we could see from the central bankers this week? Well, thanks for having me, as always, Nathan. Um, Look, I think, you know, sort of the decision by the Fed is pretty well understood at this point. But I think, as always, equity investors are attuned to what the commentary is and sort of the color on where things are going forward. And as I talk to investors, you know, I, I really do sense that they would like to be talking about something other than the Fed in 2023. So they would like to know uh, really kind of, you know, that we're, we're still set, on, set closer to the end than the beginning of this hiking cycle. Um, I think if you get anything less, any education otherwise, I think that we are going to see rocky markets. And I do worry that, you know, we, we do see a Federal Reserve that doesn't like having seen equity markets recovered as much as they have. And so there's always the risk in my mind that the Fed could try to talk things down a bit. 
Well, a lot of the talk we've been hearing from the Fed up to now is that rates are going to have to stay higher for longer. Do you think the market has gotten that message? I think the market has gotten that message, but it is still a debate of exactly how high and exactly how long. Um, so I think, you know, there, there is still some uncertainty in investors' minds at exactly what the right level is. And I'll just give you a good, you know, good example. And this is more on inflation than rates, but I was out talking to investors in Europe last week. And I found generally that most people are thinking of an inflation rate that stays sticky in the U.S. at around 4%, um, which seems a bit higher than what I've heard from talking to U.S.-based investors. So I do think there is still some room for, for debate and room for the market to really try to figure out some of those issues in terms of specific levels going forward. Well, that is interesting because we did get the commentary uh, just last night broadcast on 60 Minutes from uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen with her expectation that inflation could drop pretty significantly by the end of next year. What's going to take uh, for that to filter into this market? You know, I think that that is something that equity markets would very much like to see. And I think that, you know, I, I, I sort of told the investors I spoke with last week, I've talked to plenty of investors in the U.S. have been doing the work on different inputs of inflation, different things that are associated with inflation, different leading indicators of inflation, trying to make the case that things have been peaking and that things are set to moderate. Um, so, again, I think it's, it's starting to get there, but I think it really is just a question of getting into the new year and really seeing that Fed rhetoric start to shift in a more significant way. Of course, we're going to get one last read on inflation tomorrow and the consumer price index before the Fed decision. Are you expecting any uh, market volatility off the back of the CPI print? I think, unfortunately, um, there, there's always some market volatility either heading in or coming after. And I will tell you, Nathan, I think that we're just at a time in the year uh, when nerves are really thin, people are a little bit on edge, and there's tremendous amount of concern about the outlook for 2023. So in general, when I'm looking at kind of these bigger, you know, sort of news events, I'm looking at them, you know, as more of potential sources of, of you know, reasons for investors to take profits and things to sell off. In terms of 2023, you mentioned earlier that uh, markets would like to be speaking about anything other than the Fed in 2023. What are you looking at in terms of other catalysts that uh, that could move markets and affect your outlook uh, into the next year? Well, you know what was really interesting, Nathan? Last week, I heard a lot about recent dollar weakness. And again, I was talking mostly to European-based investors. Um, and then I was also hearing, you know, a fair amount about the China reopening, that story, um, and also just the idea that Europe has been outperforming the U.S. So I think those are potentially, you know, sort of new themes that investors could continue to gravitate towards next year. But I have to tell you, if you think about the U.S. versus Europe, the U.S. still looks extremely expensive. Um, so we're look, basically looking for a flat market next year, and I view that issue of you know, expensive U.S. valuations versus, versus Europe is just another overhang and headwind that U.S. equities have to contend with. What are you looking for in terms of earnings for next year? We got a couple of notes uh, just overnight uh, with the idea that uh, earnings revisions may need to come down even further next year. Could that be a potential uh, headwind for stocks? So I think it is a complicated matter. We are at 199, which is well below the bottom-up consensus, which has still been tracking up around 230, 231. Um, and we have seen some strategists are down in our neighborhood. Others are looking for more flattish type earnings. Um, I do think that that is a headwind simply because it creates volatility in individual stocks. Investors need certainty on multiples before they're comfortable coming in to buy. That being said, we do typically see that most cuts in percentage terms are completed by April in most years of earnings downgrades. And additionally, if you look at the rate of revisions to the upside, we typically see that the S&P 500 bottoms three to six months before uh, estimates on individual companies stop going down. So I think it's something that adds to volatility, this need to reduce forecasts, but I don't think it necessarily tells us we have to make a new low in the first half of the year. I want to get more on uh, what's affecting your outlook for the next year. Of course, it's something that a lot of analysts are talking about, the expectation for what investments could do in 2023. So we're going to continue this conversation with Lori Calvacina, the uh, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets, in just the next few minutes. So stay with us here on Bloomberg Daybreak. Right now, S&P futures are higher by seven points. Dow futures up 48 NASDAQ futures on the rise by 26 points this morning, and you're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures are higher this morning. The dollar are racing in advance at the start of a pivotal week for monetary policy decisions from the Federal Reserve, European Central Bank, and a host of their peers. We check the markets all day long on Bloomberg Radio. S&P futures up about seven points, up almost two-tenths of a percent. Dow futures up 42 points or a tenth of a percent. And NASDAQ futures up 23 points or two-tenths of a percent. The DAX in Germany is down almost two-tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury up 1230 seconds, yield 3.53%, and the yield on the two-year, 4.32%. Nymex crude oil is down six-tenths percent, or 40 cents, at $70.62 a barrel. Comex gold is down four-tenths percent, or $7.50, at $18.03.30 an ounce. The euro, 1.0559 against the dollar. British pound, 1.2272. The yen, 136.70. And bitcoins down eight-tenths of a percent at about $16,900. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Amy Morris with more on what's going on around the world. Amy, good morning. All right. Thank you, Karen. Good morning to you. Some other news you'll need from around the world. A Libyan man suspected in the 1988 bombing a Pan Am Flight 103 over Scotland is now in U.S. custody. A Department of Justice spokesperson says the alleged operative expected to make an initial appearance in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. The operator of the Keystone Pipeline System says they've finally gotten that breach under control for now after spilling more than 588,000 gallons of crude into Mill Creek in Kansas. In sports, the NFL, Bills beat the Jets, Ravens and 49ers win. And in hockey, the Caps and Bruins. Both win. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Amy, thank you. We're coming up to 524 on Wall Street. I'm Nathan Hager. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And Lori Calvacina is back with us, as promised, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, I want to get more on your view into 2023. We did a survey here at Bloomberg News uh, just a few days ago on the outlook, and 71% of uh, respondents who got back to us said they see stocks rising in in 2023, the average around 10 percent. They're thinking uh, most of that gain is going to happen in the second half. Is that a view you share? Hi. So, uh, so listen, I think it's a fantastic question. I think your survey respondents are probably a little bit more optimistic than the sell side strategy community. I've been one of the more constructive ones on the next on the 2023 outlook with our 4100 target, which at the time we priced it was about a 3% gain. So that was against late November levels. But I will say the the sort of view that markets are going to have a rocky start to the year and do better in the second half of the year, that is a view I share. Um, but one risk to that view is, frankly, that that is also a pretty consensus view, not just among your survey respondents, but among the sell-side strategy community right now. Um, so I think we have to see how much of this gets priced in in December. That's always something that happens when we roll over over into a new year. And of course, we have to see what the new stories are for next year. But I do think we've got you know, some issues to work through. Ultimately, I do think markets will be on stronger footing at the end of the year, but we've got a little bit of work to do to get there. I guess some of the issues I can think of to work through would include the war in Ukraine and how the reopening in China is going to work out. What are some other uh, potential headwinds? Do you see those as major headwinds for this market? You know, I do see uh, Russia-Ukraine as a major overhang. You know, I think I'm still digesting what's going on in China in terms of how that, that impacts U.S. equity markets. But the the reality is that if you put those geopolitical issues aside, we've got plenty of other issues. Um, I think, you know, as I mentioned in the last segment, the U.S. doesn't look cheap right now, um, not just versus European equities, but also we don't really look that appealing in the U.S. equity market relative to bonds. And I will say that is something, you know, that just about any sort of cross-asset indicator that I can run, I simply don't see a compelling case for U.S. equities at this moment in time. And we've seen that in the past that has impacted money flows into the respective asset classes. Um, so I think that's one big issue we've got. I think another issue, you know, sort of related to earnings, but I think just the onset of a more challenging economy is something that equity investors are going to have difficulty dealing with because we have been talking about the idea of consumer and corporate resilience for so long. I think that's going to engender discussions about whether or not we're on the precipice of a deeper, longer, more lasting a durable type recession. And I'll just give you one stat, Nathan. Historically, when you're in a flat, you know, sort of GDP environment for zero to two percent in real terms, on average and on a median basis, the, the stock market is flat. So markets don't like that sort of very sluggish uh, type growth environment that's anticipated right now if you look at consensus forecasts. 
Well, it is going to be very interesting to see how the Federal Reserve outlook for next year uh, plays into what uh, sell-side and buy-side strategists are thinking when it comes to 2023. Lori Calvacina, as always, great to get your thoughts. Thanks again for being with us. Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Right now, uh, S&P futures are up six points, Dow futures up 45, and NASDAQ futures are higher by 21 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 13.30 seconds, the yield 3.53% ahead of this week's Fed decision and the inflation data. We'll get this morning's top stories and local headlines straight ahead. First, a look at today's Bloomberg weather forecast. Watch out for some slippery spots this morning well north and west of the city. It looks like drier weather's headed our way. Any cloudiness will be giving way to sunshine. We'll climb up to about 40 today. Clear skies tonight, 25 to 30 downtown. It'll be in the teens in the suburbs. Sunshine tomorrow, we're close to 40. Clear skies, 25 to 30 tomorrow night. High pressure will keep it sunny through Wednesday with highs around 40. I'm Rob Carolyn with your three-day forecast on Bloomberg 1130. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 528 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow, and we're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. U.S. futures are higher this morning as we enter a big week for central banks. The Fed, ECB, and Bank of England are set to make policy decisions Wednesday and Thursday. And when it comes to the Fed, the central bank could be poised to shift gears at least a little. And Bloomberg's Vinnie Del Judice has more. The Fed has been tightening in a big way, winding up the last four meetings with jumbo 75 basis point rate hikes to fight inflation. Higher rates, risk of recession, though. And economists see the Fed opting for smaller half-point hikes, mindful that efforts to steer the U.S. economy could drive it off the road. There's room for the Fed to keep tightening. Data Friday showed November's producer price index top forecast. Moreover, Wall Street anticipates this week's data on U.S. consumer prices will show no significant let-up. Vinny Dale, Judice Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Vinny, thank you. And the Treasury's weighing in on the inflation fight. Secretary Janet Yellen is cautiously optimistic that the Fed can win its battle against high prices. I believe by the end of next year you will see much lower inflation if there's not a, an unanticipated shock. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tells 60 Minutes on CBS that she's seen positive signs, including lower shipping costs and reduced lag times for deliveries. Our listeners in Washington can hear 60 Minutes Sunday nights at 10 on Bloomberg 99.1. Well, in deal news this morning, Nathan, Amgen is on the verge of making its biggest deal ever. Let's get the latest live at the Bloomberg Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Karen and Nathan. Amgen has reportedly agreed to buy Horizon Therapeutics at a valuation of $26 billion, assuming the deal goes through. Sources tell Bloomberg nurse negotiations could still fall apart. The biotech giant offered about $116 for each share of Horizon, roughly 20 bucks higher than the stock's closing price on Friday. Horizon shares continue to climb this morning in pre-market trading, now up 13%. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Steve, thanks for that. And we also have an acquisition this morning involving Microsoft. That company's agreed to purchase a stake in the London Stock Exchange Group. The deal gives Microsoft a 4% equity holding as part of a new long-term strategic partnership between the firms. And in geopolitical news here, Nathan, the U.S. will send a delegation to China in the coming days. The move follows up on President Biden's meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping last month at the G20. Futures this morning are on the rise. S&P futures up seven points, up about two-tenths of a percent. Dow futures up 47 or a tenth of a percent. And NASDAQ futures up 25 or two-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 1230 seconds, yield 3.53 percent. They yield on the two-year 4.32 percent. NYMEX crude oil is falling down six-tenths of a percent or 41 cents at $70.61 a barrel. And COMEX gold is down about half percent. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. All right, Karen, thank you. It is 531 on Wall Street. And Amy Morris is here with a look at what's going on in New York and around the world. Amy. 
Thank you, Nathan. President Biden and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen affirming U.S. support for Ukraine. Yellen tells CBS 60 Minutes American support will continue, quote, as long as it takes. Thing we can to bring this war to a conclusion. Of course, we're providing considerable help um, to Ukraine, both military and economic. The U.S. has promised $38 billion in military aid and delivered $13 billion in direct aid to Ukraine already. New York officials have broken ground on a new Metro North line. Some are making way for other projects. After announcing Penn Station access will provide direct train service from the Bronx to Manhattan's west side, Senator Chuck Schumer says he's still fighting to fund other major infrastructure initiatives. New York is building the next generation of our public transit system that is going to help keep our city growing. That includes the second phase of the Second Avenue subway line to extend into Harlem and the Gateway Project, which connects underground rail tunnels between New York and New Jersey. New Haven's first adult-use recreational marijuana store is scheduled to open January 13th. Affinity Health and Wellness already operates a medicinal marijuana shop in Amity. The vast majority of customers are expected to pre-order marijuana products and pick up the orders as they would at a pharmacy. Members of the Marine Mammal Stranding Center yesterday buried the carcass of a 30-foot humpback whale that washed ashore on a New Jersey beach over the weekend. Because of the state of decomposition, they were not able to determine the cause of death. It was believed to have been younger than 10 years old. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg. Quick take powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Amy. on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Here's John Stanshaw. All right, Nathan. Jets and Giants, pretty much same boat. Exceeded expectations much of this season, but both now stuck on seven wins and now very much in a battle for a wild-card playoff spot. The Jets and Buffalo trying to beat the Bills for the second time. They won the stats. More first downs, more possession time. They gained 87 more yards, but... The Bills won 20 to 12, two costly second half fumbles for Robert Salas team. I thought defense did a really nice job in both situations, uh, minimizing the damage, but, um, two turnovers are always gonna, when you lose a turnover battle, you're, you're not giving yourself a chance to win a football game. The Jets have now lost three of the last four all on the road. The next two games are against Detroit and Jacksonville, and those teams are much improved. The Lions just beat the Vikings. Detroit's won Five of the last six, the Jaguars just beat Tennessee by two touchdowns. The Giants next game, next Sunday night in Washington, that game will go a long way in determining whether they make the playoffs. The Giants winless in their last four, crushed at MetLife by league leading Philadelphia 48-22. to The Eagles scored six touchdowns, kicked two field goals, big days for Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. The Eagles are now 12-1. and The Cowboys are 10-3. and They nearly lost in what would have been a massive upset, but Dallas scored late to beat Houston. 49ers stay hot. Blowout win over Tampa Bay. Tom Brady beaten by Brock Purdy was making his first NFL start. At the Garden, Knicks stay hot. Won their fourth in a row. 112-99 over Sacramento. Rangers host the Devils tonight. John Stashower, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thank you, John. And Bloomberg Sports is brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local tri-state Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com. For more information, S&P futures right now up seven points, Dow futures higher by 52, and NASDAQ futures on the rise by 26 points. It's 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. Marenberg is laid off about 10 employees in New York. The German investment bank's grappling with the quiet deals market these days. The staff worked for Berenberg's U.S. unit, which employs about 85 people. In an emailed statement, a spokesperson said most of them worked in support functions for the 430-year-old firm. G-City, an Israel-based commercial real estate company, has agreed to sell Bridge Tower, a building on Manhattan's Upper East Side, for about $153 million. It's part of the group's strategic plan to sell non-core assets. The transaction price is similar to the value of the building in the company's books. Cannabis licensees will no longer be required to accept storefronts leased by the state, a move applicants who want more control over their retail locations will like. According to the Times, cannabis regulators have scrapped a rule requiring the state's first retail operators to accept storefronts assigned by the government. That's your Bloomberg Dry State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. All right, Ed, thank you. It is 536 on Wall Street. The following commentary is from Bloomberg Opinion. 
How Republicans Lost Their House Edge in Midterms. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. Republican candidates got about 51% of the votes cast for the House of Representatives in November and ended up with about 51% of House seats. Seems fair, no? This is not how things worked from 2010 through 2016, when Republicans won much larger shares of House seats than votes. The disconnect was most pronounced in 2012, when Democrats' 1.1 percentage point winning vote margin resulted in a 7.6 point loss in terms of seats. Gerrymandering after the 2010 census played a role in this, but political scientists pointed out that Democrats were also just inefficiently distributed, dominant in big cities, but present in large, if ultimately losing, minorities in much of the rest of the country. Since Donald Trump was elected president in 2016, this distribution has shifted, and the Republican edge has dwindled. I'm Justin Fox. For more opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. It's now 538 on Wall Street. Stay with us here on Bloomberg Daybreak for a conversation with Bloomberg's Reed Stevenson. He's got the big take story on the Bloomberg Terminal this morning on Carlos Ghosn and the extraction crew that just made its way out of custody in Japan and is now looking for their due. Stay with us for that. Ahead of it, S&P futures are up seven points. Dow futures up 55. NASDAQ futures up 28. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures moving higher this morning. The dollar erasing in advance at the start of a pivotal week for monetary policy decisions from the Fed, the European Central Bank, and a host of their peers. We check the markets all day long here at Bloomberg. S&P futures up eight points or two-tenths of a percent. Dow futures are up about the same, up 58 points. And NASDAQ futures have a quarter percent or 29 points. The DAX in Germany is down about two-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 12.30 seconds, yield 3.53 percent. The yield on the two-year, 4.32 percent. NYMEX crude oil is down six-tenths percent or 43 cents at $70.59 a barrel. COMEX gold is down half percent or nine dollars thirty cents at eighteen oh one fifty an ounce the euro one point oh five five nine against the dollar british pound one point two two eight six the yen one thirty six point seven three and that's a bloomberg business flash now here's amy morris with more on what's going on around the world amy thank you karen Florida Governor Ron DeSantis thanked some of his South Florida donors at a closed-door meeting. This was in Miami yesterday, where sources tell Bloomberg News DeSantis noted how his victory could be a blueprint for Republicans in the future. Scientists in California now say they've made a breakthrough in nuclear fusion technology, producing more energy than consumed in a reaction for the very first time. The achievement was made at the U.S. Department of Energy's Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory near San Francisco. In sports, in the NFL, the Bills beat the Jets, Giants lost to the Eagles, Ravens and 49ers win. In hockey, the Caps and Bruins win, and the NBA, the Knicks beat the Kings. Global news, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Amy, thank you. It is 542 on Wall Street. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. I'm Nathan Hager alongside Karen Moscow, taking a look at some of the other stories making news this morning. Wall Wall Street's focus this week will be on inflation data and the Fed, but there are still a smattering of earnings reports ahead. Let's get the details now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Worries about how far central bankers will go to rein in inflation have kept investors on edge, and there is a great deal of uncertainty surrounding the earnings outlook. Kate Moore is head of thematic strategy at BlackRock. Really, no one knows what earnings are going to look like in 2023. I feel bad for the analysts that have to put out forecasts when the uncertainty factor is so incredibly high. And you can't make either a valuation or an earnings argument. Among this week's earnings reports are Accenture, Adobe, and Oracle. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
All right, Charlie, thank you. Well, two prominent strategists are warning about future profit downgrades. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson and David Costin at Goldman Sachs say earnings could contract more than expected next year. They say margins could come under increased pressure and provide a difficult backdrop for equities. Both Wilson and Costin see a tough start for stocks in 2023. Meantime, across the pond, Karen, fresh data show the U.K. economy expanded in October. Businesses managed to recover output lost following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Gross domestic Product rose five tenths percent from September, which included an extra public holiday for the Queen's funeral and a period of national mourning. But when you look on a quarterly basis, GDP shrank three tenths percent. UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt weighed in on the downbeat data. Well, these figures confirm that this is a very challenging economic situation here and across the world, and it will get worse before it gets better. But we have a plan that will more than halve inflation over the next year. And if we stay the course, we can get back to the strong economic growth that we need. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt spoke earlier this morning. The outlook could leave the Bank of England deeply divided this week over how much to raise interest rates to fight inflation. Well, staying in the U.K., Nathan, the government is planning for military staff and civil servants to cover for striking rail, health, postal, and other workers in the coming weeks. Strikes are planned for almost every day through the rest of the month. Workers are demanding pay hikes that keep up with inflation, resulting in the biggest wave of industrial strife in the U.K. since the 80s. This is The Big Take, the best of Bloomberg's in-depth original reporting from around the globe. This is a really fast-moving story. It's caused a lot of outrage among investors. This is so fascinating. The market shut down in a way it's never done before. That's going to have consequences for years to come. The Big Take on Bloomberg Radio. Coming up to 545 on Wall Street, and this morning's Bloomberg Big Take is on Carlos Ghosn, the former Nissan chairman, and the price paid by the American father and son extraction team that facilitated his daring escape from Japan. Joining us now with is the author of the Big Take story this morning, Bloomberg's Reed Stevenson. Reed, it's good to have you with us. Thanks so much for this. Of course, a lot of us are familiar with the Carlos Ghosn story, but maybe not so familiar about Michael and Peter Taylor, the father and son who helped in his extraction. Tell us more about them. Well, Nathan, it was about three years ago, almost uh, to the same month that um, Carlos Ghosn staged his dramatic escape out of Japan. You know, it's one of those stories that you almost never hear about in, in business news. And so it captured the world's attention. And uh, to a certain extent, it's been forgotten since then. You know, Ghosn is now in Lebanon uh, fighting to restore his reputation, although it's unlikely he'll ever be uh, facing a, a judge in a court anytime soon. But the other forgotten part of the story is the uh, the cost that, you know, others have paid for Carlos Stone's freedom, namely uh, Michael Taylor and Peter Taylor, who were uh, unexpectedly extradited from the U.S. to Japan in, uh, last year in 2021 and then spent 16 months in, in um, the Japanese prison system, which, you know, some say is uh, much harsher than uh, you might imagine uh, compared to the U.S., and now they're out, they're back in the U.S. and uh, also back in Beirut, and they're telling their story, both in terms of um, the, the, the sacrifices they made, uh, what they think they are owed for their ordeal, and as well as uh, some you know, new details about the escape that have never been made public. Yeah, it's a really interesting story, particularly coming after the news last week about Brittany Griner and the negotiation for her release from Russia. Michael and Peter Taylor, from your reporting, don't mince words when it comes to how they feel about the Trump and Biden administrations. Essentially, they feel like they were forgotten, weren't they, by those administrations in in, uh, in terms of their captivity? Indeed. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's easy to sort of maybe speculate as to why, but the fact remains that, uh, you know, nobody really stepped in uh, when the extradition process was happening under the Trump administration. In fact, it happened unusually quickly. And then, of course, once a new administration was in place, um, the Biden administration also had a chance possibly to put a 
you know, stop the proceedings, but that didn't ha- happen either. And so, therefore, uh, you know, father and son were promptly shipped to Japan, uh, where they pleaded guilty in a bid for leniency. Uh, who knows whether they actually got the leniency or not, but some of the conditions they had to go through were pretty harsh. Uh, 90 straight days and solitary, and uh, uh, I also heard from Michael Taylor that, you know, he tried to call his dying father and never got a chance to do so. Wow. And now they are uh, finally out of the Japanese legal system and, as you say, looking to uh, uh, get what they see as their due from Carlos Ghosn as the former Nissan chairman tries to rebolster his reputation. What are they looking for from Carlos Ghosn? We've got about a minute left here. Indeed. Um, Michael Taylor never did this for profit. Uh, He has a history of going and helping uh, abducted children, other people in trouble. So at the moment, what they're really just looking for is to be made whole. Um, uh, The escape itself cost about $1.3 million. I'd say about two-thirds of that had been paid, so they're looking for the remainder. But then, of course, there are some astronomical legal costs involved in fighting the extradition and navigating the Japanese uh, legal system, those amount to roughly $3 million. So at the moment, what they're really looking for is uh, to be made whole. And perhaps, you know, there may be a discussion about uh, something on top of that. But that's another chapter to be written in this uh, crazy story. Yeah, and it's a story that is really fascinating uh, to get more details on, uh, as you mentioned, one of those uh, forgotten sidebars uh, from the Carlos Ghosn saga. Thanks for this, Reed. Uh, great having you on with us once again. Reed Stevenson of Bloomberg News, the author of this morning's Big Take on Carlos Ghosn and his extraction crew. You can read much more about it at uh, NI Big Take Go on the Bloomberg Terminal or Bloomberg.com slash big take futures moving higher this morning you're listening to bloomberg daybreak markets headlines and breaking news 24 hours a day at bloomberg.com the bloomberg business app and at bloomberg quick take this is a bloomberg business flash I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures higher this morning. The dollar erasing an advance. We check the markets every, we check the markets all day long here at Bloomberg Radio with S&P futures up 11 points or about three tenths of a percent. Dow futures up 78 points or two tenths of a percent. And NASDAQ futures up 43 points or about a third of a percent. Ten year treasury up 15 30 seconds yield 3.52 percent and the yield on the two year 4.32 percent. Nymex crude oil is lower down nine tenths of a percent or 61 cents. At seventy dollars forty-one cents a barrel, Comex Gold is down four tenths of a percent, down seven dollars ten cents at one thousand eight hundred three dollars sixty cents an ounce. The euro this morning one point oh five six four against the dollar. British pound one point two two eight five. The yen is at one thirty six point six eight, and Bitcoin's lower, down seven tenths of a percent at almost seventeen thousand dollars. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Nathan, Karen, thank you. It's 556 on Wall Street. Time for our daily Bloomberg Law Brief, exploring legal issues in the news. Today, we look at a case involving Harvard's former fencing coach and a telecom CEO. They are facing a jury over charges that they corrupted the admissions process at Harvard in a case with echoes of the Varsity Blues admission scandal. Jack Zhao, CEO of iTalk Global Communications, is accused of bribing coach Peter Brand to the tune of more than $1.5 million dollars to help get his two sons into Harvard by having them designated fencing recruits. Key point at trial is going to be whether the defendant's actions harmed Harvard. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks with our legal reporter, Laurel Culkins. And what's the defense, the explanation for all that money? Generosity. The defense (laughs) says, you know, it's a cultural thing. The Zhao's are wealthy from the Chinese tradition of being generous with their friends. And by the way, they say now, and they did not say this in any of the pretrial filings, but they told the jury on opening day, this was all a loan that Peter Brand got an inheritance from his mom recently and paid everything off with interest. Of course, that also happened after he was indicted. And of course, the prosecutors are going nuts. What do you mean? There's no evidence that it was ever repaid. So the prosecution is actually trying to get the judge to say they have to take all that back and they can't tell any of that to the jury because it doesn't matter what happened after the indictment. So what's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, the defense says Zhao's sons were nationally ranked fencers. 
outstanding athletes and good students who were admitted on their own merit. But you never know with college admissions, and the prosecution says that Zhao didn't want to take any chances that his son would be rejected. Exactly. And you also have to recognize that the two sons are not exactly equal. They both had outstanding academics, which qualified under Harvard's admissions. And then they both were competitive fencers, shall we say. The elder son actually went on to become co-captain of Harvard's fencing team and was second string all Ivy. So he clearly was talented. The younger son also competed for Harvard. He racked up, you know, some honors, but not as much as his brother. But the other thing is with Harvard, unlike some of the other colleges, the coach can't just say, this is my recruit, and they automatically get in. Harvard has a kind of a whole student evaluation process, and there's an interview and a committee process. So it very much tips the scale in your favor, but it's not a, a deadlock. So I think Zhao was trying to, to tilt that scale as much in his son's favor as possible. But a big point in the trial is going to be, was Harvard harmed? Because the Zhao's technically qualified for admissions on their own merit. They fenced competitively for Harvard all four years that each boy was there, and they both paid full tuition. They didn't get any scholarships. So it's a question. Did Harvard get harmed? Who's the victim here? That's Bloomberg legal reporter Laura Culkin speaking with June Grosso. And you can catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BLawGo. Right now, S&P futures up 10 points. Dow futures up 71. NASDAQ futures higher by 41 points. Ten-year Treasury is up 14.30 seconds. The yield, 3.52%. Straight ahead, a check of the latest business headlines. All the news you need to start your day. Hour two of Bloomberg Daybreak starts right now. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.